This episode of Software Social is sponsored by NOKO. That's N-O-K-O. When you're bootstrapping on the side, every free moment counts. But do you really know how you're spending those moments? Which days you're most productive? If your product has time sinks that just don't pay? Here's one way to find out. NOKO is a time tracker designed to help you learn from the time you track. And NOKO makes it frictionless to give yourself good data, too. You can even log time directly from your GitHub commit messages. Try NOKO. That's N-O-K-O today and save 15% off every plan forever. Visit nokotime.com slash socialpod to start making your time work for you. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Software Social. So as you heard last week, Colleen joined the Hammerstone team uh, and she also just started a job recently and she just moved to California. So Colleen has a lot going on this week. Um, and so for the benefit um, of her mental health, we decided that she should just take the week off. Um, and I'm super excited because that meant that I got to bring a friend on the show this week. Um, so I have Adam Hill with us. Adam um, and I actually used to work together. Um, he was the CTO at a place I used to work at. Um, and he also has some uh, projects going. Uh, so welcome, Adam. Hi. It's been a long time since we've talked. Like, I know. Isn't that the funny? internet. Yeah. It's weird. We should do this more often. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, when we had, I had uh, Marie Poulin on a couple of weeks ago, the Notion expert, and yep. we like had that exact same conversation at the beginning of it. it was like, this is so weird. I talk to you online all the time, but we haven't actually spoken in a very long time. Right. Talking over Twitter is a little bit different than hearing someone's voice. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, so actually speaking of one of those conversations we are having, so we were talking the other day about podcasts and you were kind of thinking about maybe you should start your own show or whatnot, but you said something in particular that I wanted to talk about because I think it is, I think it will strike a chord with a lot of people. And you said, I'm tired of hearing podcasts from people who don't struggle. Yes. Uh Oh, all right. <laughs> um, so no offense to, to you and, and Colleen, because uh, I think you guys do a great job of talking through the things that you're, you know, having problems with. And maybe this is just the podcast that, that I tend to listen to, um, but there seem to be a couple categories. There's like advice podcasts, there are interview podcasts, and then there are kind of like two co-founders, like talking through their last week sort of podcasts. And the advice podcasts seem to be more like, I'm an expert. I know what I'm doing. Here's 10 ways to get more traffic to your landing page or whatever. The interview podcasts are more like, um, I just made a million dollars in the last year. Like, ask me how I did it. And then the two co-founders on a journey, um, maybe that's the closest to like, these are the things that we're working through and um, I'm having trouble with this or that. But even like, even Colleen, she's making $1,000 a month, which to me is like, 
that's crazy. Like that's, that's, <laughs> you know, uh, she's like having so much success and, you know, maybe some of this is sort of like, everything is relative. I'm, I have tried a bunch of little side projects and startups over the years and I've never gotten to a thousand dollars a month, but like maybe she's looking at you and being like, well, Michelle is like, <laughs> Michelle and Matias are supporting their family, you know, on their startup. So like, maybe it's just everyone is able to look at someone who is above them, quote unquote, and see someone who is like doing more of what they want to be doing. I think what you're saying is is something that a lot of people feel. And I think that there's kind of this undercurrent of loneliness to a certain extent behind these sort of indie hacker, indie SaaS kind of world where, you know, if it's just you're one person working on something or maybe you have a co-founder like me, like don't really have a lot of people in your daily life to talk to about these kinds of things and where it's already sort of a lonely pursuit to like try to start your own SaaS on the weekend to then like hear other people who are doing it but to hear that they're like having the success that that seems elusive to you like that could reinforce that kind of feeling of loneliness and I could understand how that might make you want to you know scream at your phone that like a thousand dollars is actually amazing what are you talking about (laughs) yeah yeah I mean like can you talk a little bit about um you know I assume that it was very helpful for you and Matias to be working on things together throughout the years like when you were starting Geocodio so like was that your sort of like support system because there was no microconf at that point and there was um you know indie hackers I don't think was around yeah, can you just elaborate on on how that worked for you? You know, we actually we didn't go to microconf until 2019 and we didn't go for so long because we didn't feel like legit enough to be there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like and I guess I didn't know that like the microconf growth side was a thing, but still like we didn't feel like we were like legit enough to be there even after we had gone full time so when did you go full time was it 2017 so you didn't think that you belonged <laughs> in that community <laughs> i didn't know it existed really like so i remember actually when i mean so when we started it like the only people we i don't think we knew anyone with side projects really and like we had friends who were developers and like they gave us feedback on it, but like we didn't really know any like we knew people who were like freelance developers who were mm-hmm. like, you know, contracting. But like we didn't I didn't know anybody who had like started their own SaaS and then ran it as like a one two person show. But then, so when I went full time in 2017, I remember really wanting community and I actually started a meetup for like people to work together from Whole Foods, I think. In DC? Yeah. Well, like, it, yeah. It was, I think I did like three, two or three times. Like the first time nobody showed up. The second time, this like other woman who was a marketing consultant showed up. And like that was cool. And then we like sat next to each other at a table at a Whole Foods. 
Yeah. Uh, and like didn't really talk. And I guess it was fine. And then and then the last time this like got older guy showed up and like pitched me how he could like we needed to get our business into China and how he oh, could no. help us with that. And it was like I, I I don't know. And after that I was like, this may I don't know. Maybe this isn't gonna work. And I shut yeah. it down. And then <laughs> I actually joined a co-working space for I remember, yeah. A year, but I actually only went for like the first three months because, again, I really wanted to like meet people and like make friends and find other people in a similar situation. And like going to a co-working space in D.C., there just really wasn't anybody doing that. Like, and It um, wasn't 1776, right? No, it wasn't actually. So, okay. So, so context for the people who are not from D.C. who are listening to this. So 1776... I don't even know if it still exists, but it was like this like incubator slash like a working space um, in downtown DC. 1776 is actually where we did our Geocodio prototype testing. So we had friends who had a startup at 1776 and one day Matthias like you know went there with his laptop and had people play around with the API and like try to break it and you know doing all the stuff about authentication and whatnot. That was actually at 1776. Um, but I think they take a percentage of the company if you want to co-work there or they used to. Or oh. I don't I don't I haven't really followed it in the last couple of years. Um but yeah and then and then actually wasn't really until I kind of found the whole community on Twitter and like the whole microconf kind of world that I felt like I had a like community of people. But even then, if you find that community, like it can be hard to feel like you are like fit in. Like, cause I feel like people are super welcoming, but like, I didn't know that from the outside. And then, yeah. And then we kind of like showed up and then, and then like we start talking to people and everything. And we like, we kind of were like, Ooh, like, you know, we're not legit. And then you talk to people and stuff and you're like, yeah, you know, annual revenue, like, you know, over a million, you know, like, and they're like, what? Wait, where have you been? Like, you just came out of nowhere? <laughs> like, and we're like, oh, okay. Uh, I guess we could, uh, I guess, I, I guess we didn't have to have this like imposter syndrome about it for like was, yep. five I years. Say, <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say imposter syndrome. I mean, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, and I, totally. um, I, we have a mutual friend person who we used to work with, um, who has their own other startup. I went to lunch with him the other day and, you know, he's doing really well. And I was like, you could be talking about, you know, how well you're doing more if you wanted to as sort of like content marketing or um, sharing, you know, your journey. And he doesn't really want to. So, I mean, that's interesting because you said that you hadn't, heard about microconf for a long time so I'll, i listened to startups for the rest of us which podcast um for probably like 10 years and sort of followed that journey and then that podcast turned into microconf and then it turned into tiny seed so um it's been fun to watch that uh community sort of like morph and change over time but we just kind of turned this about like how I didn't feel included for a long time. But I think what we were intending to talk about was how you feel sort of alienated hearing about other people's success. And I recognize this is somewhat uncomfortable to talk about, but I also think it's important to talk about because 
I think so many people feel this way and not just about trying to launch a SaaS, but in general, like when you are struggling with something and all you see are examples of success, it is profoundly alienating and discouraging. And I think people think they're being motivating, be like, look at me, I made, you know, like $10 million or whatever, like last year. And like, here's how you can do it Buy my course. Like, like those people have good intentions. But I think as, as you know, it, like if you're in that position of being like, yeah, like my revenue is zero and it has been zero for five years now and I've launched 10 things like and you're like, what am I doing wrong? Is it me like all these other people having success? Like, you know, it's like watching all of your friends get a boyfriend or girlfriend in high school and you're like, what am I doing wrong? I think that especially with some of the interview podcasts, the people who come on to talk are people who are, you know, successful in some way or other. Do you remember there used to be a website when the dot-com boom and bust was happening called F Company? Um, I kind of want like a, like, I what were the biggest mistakes that I made in my mm. uh, company or, or startup? I think that would be um, instructive and sort of helpful to show like maybe that vulnerability of like you are struggling with this thing and or I messed up this thing and here are sort of maybe some takeaways or lessons from it. I think that would be mm-hmm. sort of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think people talking more about the, I think in the way that, I, and, I, and I think I'm quoting someone here that, you know, success is always contextually specific, like the specific resources and constraints and incentives and whatnot that led someone to be successful are not always you know, immediately applicable to someone else, especially if they're in a different situation. I think it's also the the same for failure. And now, of course, it may be very, very difficult for someone who has had a failure to do that kind of analysis, but also breaking down those other things. Because then if you read that and be like, oh, well, like they didn't have this resource that I have, like maybe I could make this work and I could overcome that. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah, I think so. So sometimes um, there will be like a postmortem when mm-hmm. a startup goes away. They're always really interesting for me to to read through. And I just wonder if, you know, basically those are sort of like, there's one of them because then everything goes away after that. <laughs> um, and, you know, it might be useful to sort of have a catalog of those things. Um, I don't know. I'm sort of just thinking off the top of my head. It's almost like the inverse of, you know, say like, you know, indie hackers, for example, they do a lot of highlighting of people who have been successful and can inspire others. And there's a, there's a place for that. And it, it almost was what you're saying is like an inverse of that. That's like, here's my failure or like, here's my side project that I launched two years ago and doesn't have any revenue or, you know, it's been stuck at 300 MRR for a year, like, and 
here's what I think I'm doing wrong. And I mean, but it requires this like level of vulnerability that I think would take a lot for people to be willing to do that. And maybe they would want to do it anonymously. But then again, if they're on the show and people are listening, then it's like maybe marketing for their thing. So I don't, you know, but I, I think there really is something there because we all have more failures than successes. Like, I think that's normal. It's also normal to like hide this, the failures under the rug and be like, oh, no, look at my successes. Look great. This is amazing, isn't it? Um you know, because like I've launched stuff that failed. Like I've like we've botched launches. Like like we've had you know customers wanting to like burn us down at points. Like maybe not for Geocodio, but like for other things. Like absolutely. Like it's it's totally normal. Um, in some ways, it's one of the reasons why I think I you know I'm I want to hold on to Geocodio as long as I can because like starting a business is really hard and like having to do it all over again uh it, you know the the chance of failure is is much higher uh so i'm sorry if you listen to this show for inspiration cuz you're not getting it uh, <laughs> you know so i think it's maybe enough on failure i do want to talk about what you have launched though cuz you have done some really cool stuff and i don't think you give yourself enough credit for it so was it last year or the year before you launched Django Unicorn, which is basically like Laravel Livewire for Django? Yeah, I think it was last year. And actually, I think it was a tweet that you responded to. I was <laughs> like, I think I said something about, I wish, you know, uh, Laravel Livewire was for Django. And I think you said, why don't you or something like that? So um <laughs> a terrible influence. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, I guess. Um but yeah, so it is um it's a it's basically a, a full stack framework for Django. Um so if listeners have ever used any like front end framework like Vue or React, uh they know that you basically you have like your front end um part of your website, and then you have the back end, and they sort of have to talk to each other. Uh, what um, There's a couple of these out there. There's Phoenix Live View, and there's Laravel Livewire, and there's um, Django Unicorn. And they basically let you build the interactive front-end website easier uh, without having to basically build both pieces separately and then connect them. It enables the nice user experience quicker than having to build both pieces at the at the same time. So it's been a, a fun project. One thing that might be interesting about it is that it's all open source, uh, but I have uh, GitHub sponsors enabled on it. And so I do have a bunch of sponsors on it. Well, 10-ish. Um, which for me is that's like more than a handful. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how you um, how you you know rank open source projects, but there's um, around 700 stars on GitHub and nine to ten sponsors. So for me, that's like crazy successful. That's um, successful. 
people are using it in production. Um, so now it's, you know, responding to issues and bugs um, and trying to add features when I have time. But yeah, it's been, it's been really fun to build. It's sort of, if you've heard of like the, I, I didn't think about this at the time, but um, if you think about like the stair step approach where you like, you have like a small little product, usually it's like a WordPress theme or uh, a plugin for um, Shopify or something. Sometimes it's good to like get your feet wet with that little thing before you like try to do like a SaaS product. But um, yeah, it's different than, you know, making a B2C startup for, you know, latitude and longitude coordinates or, or whatever. <laughs> it's like a, you know, it's a, it's a whole different beast, I guess. Yeah. I find the, the business model of open source really, uh, really interesting because it's so different than like what we do. Like we just sell to businesses who need what we need. And then that's kind of like it, like we just have to be there when they're searching for it. And it, so you have, I mean, sponsors on the project. I mean, it sounds like it is, it is like pretty successful. Um, so to all of our talk about failure early on um, and imposter syndrome, I feel like there's maybe a little bit of that going on here. But I think I like, so what do you want to like, like do with it? Like you mentioned that you're, you're doing support and like you're trying to add features when you have time. Like where do you want it to go? Yeah, that's a good question because I, I don't have a great answer for you. I think, you know, I'm maybe being naive or like super altruistic, but I really like the Django ecosystem and Python and sort of, I wanted to put something out there that people used and let them move faster and build things quicker without a lot of um, pain and struggle. That was my initial goal. I enabled sponsors sort of on a lark because, well, it was the pandemic and um, I had a lot of time. So I put a lot of time and effort into building out this framework and then also all the documentation and the marketing site. And so, you know, my initial goal was basically if I could pay my hosting fees on Heroku, then it was a, you know, that was going to be a win. And so I got that, which is great. It is interesting. So sort of like what I was talking about before, where there's like always someone sort of ahead of you that you kind of like look up to. Mm. Um, I don't know if you know the developer who does Livewire in Laravel. It's um, Caleb Porzio. He is making a living off of Livewire and another um, JavaScript framework called Alpine. And so I kind of look to him as like, oh, that's sort of, that's crazy. He has enough sponsors where he can basically, you know, work on that full time. I don't know, that's not really my goal, but it's interesting to look at sort of the tactics that he is using to get that many sponsors and sort of do the things that make sense for Unicorn as well. Yeah, it seems like there's a couple different paths you can go on with a 
um, a product that is that is open source. Um, you know, so I guess there's there's the sponsors approach. There's like people who sell courses and books on top of it, like thing like Tailwind, for example. Yeah. I think the more like classic example is like consulting services using it. And then there's kind of also like what what Hammerstone is doing, which Colleen is working on now, where I believe it's something like the back end is open, but the front end is not. And it's also there's also like you you, know, you can have sort of like productized services on top of it, mm-hmm. too, where there's a there's like a, you know, like a, I mean, a lot of Laravel stuff is like you, there's there's a product that's, you know, that makes it easy to do all of those things. And so it's kind of interesting, like, think about those different options, like, you could go down. It sounds like for Hammerstone, they also have a client who is sort of paying them to develop the thing and then to develop, refine, and then they'll be able to keep that IP. That's sort of what it sounded like from the last podcast. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's really interesting as well. So I know for... For Livewire, um, Caleb wrote a long uh, article, which basically detailed all the things, all of his sort of like ways that he got more sponsors. So one of them was uh, he gated um, screencasts for like how to use the product. So there was some of the like elementary ways to use Livewire are free. And then for more advanced things, they were, um, he had to sponsor. Mm. Um, and then he also did sort of a sponsorware model, sort of like shareware, where if you were a sponsor, you got access to a certain, um, you know, library or some code. And then once it hit a, a set number of sponsors, he then just open sourced it. Mm. So yeah, the sort of making money off of open source has all these different sort of um, approaches, which uh, I think is really interesting and sort of, um, you know, one of the things that I've kind of liked about this product or project is uh, I sort of, because I've been a developer for so long, I feel like I know how they think and I'm scratching my own itch. So like both of those things make it a little bit easier to, you know, market it. I, I wonder, like, do you intend to base, like, like, because I feel like this plays into incentives a lot and it's where we started Geocodio from a place of, but like from our conversations about it, it seems like you basically want to keep this as a, a side project. Like, it's, you know, it's sort of as much for, you know, ha- like having extra money uh, on the side is always great. Like, you know, when we started Geocodio, it actually came out of like to be able to afford daycare, um, which, you know, context for the non-Americans listening. Uh, daycare is like $25,000 a year and costs more than public college tuition in a majority of states. Um, and yeah. So we were like, uh, like we can't just like magically start making $25,000 more from our jobs. We've got to get something going. And so it was like always intended to be a side project. And I, and I feel like I hear that from you. And I think one of the, the other benefits of that, aside from the extra money, is kind of like giving yourself like a playground or like a sandbox to like play in outside of work that's like just for your own enjoyment and just as you said like 
doing something to help other people to make things easier for them. Yeah. So, so for some context, I guess, like I really like my day job. Like I don't ever want to leave. I, I know a lot of sort of bootstrappers, you know, they want to escape the nine to five and they, uh, they don't want a boss and, um, whatever the other, you know, sort of reasons for, for pursuing this path, but it is mostly a hobby for me. It's something for me to do, like you said, outside of work, um, work on different things that I wouldn't get to do in my day job. So that has been most of my side projects have sort of scratched that itch. So my incentives are pretty minimal. And I do think about that a lot. I think one thing that is interesting for startups or for side projects is that once you charge people, you get feedback from the marketplace. Sounds like a level of um, responsibility or obligation comes into that. Like, you know, I've heard Mm -hmm. uh, like Taylor Otwell and Adam Wathen like uh, talking about how mean people can be in GitHub issues and like really demanding and like, you know, if somebody sponsors you, them feeling entitled to you building every feature they ask for and replying to things right away. And like paying customers has its own stresses but also like having not paying customers or even like spot like that, that creates its own set of um, stresses as well. And, you know, to what you're saying about incentives, like I wouldn't say that you have no incentives. You actually have, if you have a day job, you have incentives for an extremely low support volume because you can't reply to anything between nine and five. And you probably don't want to spend all day Saturday and Sunday going through support tickets. Cause like you've got a family, you've, want to do other things in your life and as I mean it's, it's a lot to think about yeah I mean I think one thing I think about is like why do I keep trying to do this mm. <laughs> which is like um you know it's so when we started working I was the CTO for a little while at the same time I had co-founded a startup on the side um so that was sort of crazy, crazy time. Um, and I had a small child at the time. The two other co-founders wanted to go full time and and I didn't. So we sort of split at some point. But even that, which is sort of like more of a real startup, like over the years, I have done side projects um, and and I just, I do wonder about sort of the psychology of like people who just keep trying over and, and over and over again, even if it doesn't really work out, like I'm not trying to make a ton of money off of this. Um, so that's not my incentive. It's more like, I just wanna see how far I can go and how much I can do. And I do think that charging people sort of gives you a really like clear answer of this is something that someone finds useful or not. Mm-hmm. 
And then how do you kind of work that in with the sort of multiple options available for an open source project? I mean, because kind of in a way, like SaaS is like so much more straightforward. It's like you have pay as you go, you have a subscription, like maybe you have a, you know, you pay for onboarding services or integration fees, and then you play a subscription on top of that. Like there's not really as many things of like, you know, like pay for this ebook about how to use this project. Or as you mentioned with Livewire, having screencasts about how to use it or gatekeeping, you know, specific features. Like of course there's some of that in SAS, but like it's, it's very different dynamics. Mm-hmm. And do you feel excited by those options or do you feel decision fatigue and kind of not sure where to go with all of that? I think I have a few things in my head of these are things I could I could do. There's a little bit of decision fatigue. I have done some screencasts, uh, but I find it takes a really long time for me to, to do them. I know you've done a conference talk before, but like I also did a conference talk for Django uh, Unicorn, and I spent so much time preparing for it and um, doing the slides and running through it over and over again. And a screencast isn't that much time, but it it's similar where I sort of like need to figure out a script and write all the code and plan everything out. So getting motivated to do that is a little tricky. So other than that, though, there are a couple other ways that I could monetize Django Unicorn. But I do feel like I want to try more of a SaaS product just to sort of not diversify my income because there's very little income, but like sort of try something new. I do wonder if the side projects are a way to just try a lot of different things and see, you know, see what I can learn along the way. I guess it kind of comes back to what you were saying about you were sort of like, why am I doing this in the first place? Yeah, I, um, you know, I don't have a good answer for that because I, I ask that of myself a lot. I look at it as a hobby and, you know, I, I'm curious how you, how you looked at Geocodio at the beginning. Like you said, it was to pay your daycare bills, but at some point it paid the daycare bills. And then sort of, how did you think about it from that point on? Well, then it went on to paying off my student loans. Uh... (laughs) So there was just more and more things that it paid off. (laughs) More American like financial (laughs) debt obligations. Yes, that's basically the story. Um, No, I mean, you know, I'm personally very motivated by like financial security. Um, But no, it was always like it was a hobby until it got to the point where it was like, no, this is actually serious and like uh, this is actually you know this is this is this is a business i can trust that the revenue isn't going to disappear overnight like like this is this other part that people don't really talk about is like there's this first stage of like nothing is working uh everyone is having success but me um okay cool we're covering our hosting costs awesome and then like kind of growing it a little bit and, like this is working having fun throwing pasta at the wall you know unlike at work <laughs> like you can try something and if it doesn't work like there's very little consequences for it at that stage 
Um, and you can you, you have a lot more freedom to explore and for decision making, which is something that I really valued from it. Mm-hmm. But then there's kind of the stage when you have legit revenue of feeling like this could go away overnight. Like a big competitor could come in, release something, and everybody's gonna switch and my revenue is gone. And like basically like I like I like where I didn't trust the revenue, if that makes sense. Like the I mean the revenue is is I'm totally like anthropomorphizing it here. Um but trusting that it would be there that you could rely mm-hmm. on it like that took me a very very long time i probably i waited a lot longer to go full time i think than other people might especially people who are super eager to not have a boss anymore and whatnot because i was so afraid of that and also because you know, in the U.S., when you fall, you you fall hard. There is no floor, basically, to how far how far you fall. And you know, just based on my life experience and whatnot, that was something I was terrified of. Um, and but it, it took me a long time to really trust the revenue, and so it was like part. And I think it was like it was a hobby, and it was my fun place to explore where I got to make all the decisions and I was the run doing the roadmap and is doing all these different things. And, you know, I'm ADHD. So I love that I have to switch between like all of these different things all the time and wear all these different hats because then I don't get bored. But I think saying I was a side project for so long because it was a hobby, I think that would be lying to myself because there's that other reason that I just didn't trust that it wasn't going away. So you've talked about not having, um, you know, other employees or anything, but can you talk about sort of, you could have had sort of a a contractor who would help out with parts of Geocodeo and that would have been a less final decision, I guess, than not getting a a full-time job again oh you mean like before i went full-time like hiring a contractor yeah. to work on yeah. it yeah. actually i never even considered that i mean it was just earlier this year that i even got a va like <laughs> um i i that never occurred to me and even even now like the i don't i don't we, we don't plan to hire anyone full-time and for 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 some reasons it would be nice but in other ways, like I like, I I don't feel capable of like fully managing and like taking on the hopes and dreams of another person. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm treading water at doing that as a parent, and so I question <laughs> my ability to do that with an employee and give them the amount of attention that they deserve, and then also provide a career path of advancement for them. Like, I take it very seriously that it's not just a year of employment for someone. It's you know, if things work out five, 10, 20 years and where I can't be certain that this company would ever grow to be more than, you know, three people or whatever, like, and there's the co-founders running it. Like there's always a ceiling for those people. Mm -hmm. And like, I would almost feel bad, like bringing someone on to a company that I knew that they couldn't advance at or run. Like I, like, I feel guilty about that. Like it feels like wrong to me even though i know there's people who like don't want to run a company and would be very happy with that like 
like to me, like I can't, like I just can't get over that. So, um, but you know, I'm taking baby steps with having a VA. <laughs> so talk to me again in five years <laughs> when maybe we have hired a part-time support person or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I hear you on, on the full-time employee. I, that sounds daunting. Uh, and you know, there's payroll and there's taxes and there's, you know, all of that, at least in the States, there's, you know, there's the human um, side though. That's the part yeah. that like, oh, yes. yeah. you know, uh, I don't know. I guess I don't believe in myself as a manager. So <laughs> I know I can execute. You need to, <laughs> you need to get over your imposter syndrome, syndrome, Michelle, and you can do anything. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> Well, that's why I brought up, you know, contractor or, you know, a VA or a part-time, you know, support person that that all makes sense because you are less um, invested in, in helping that person grow because, you know, they're not actually a full-time employee. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I think I have to dive deeper uh, and figure that out. I, th- I think this might be one of the rawest interviews we have ever done pr- pr- on my side and probably on the interviewee side um so maybe this is a good time to end it for today sounds good thank you so much for listening adam thank you so much for being on today and talking about struggle which again as you said i think is a really common feeling and people just don't talk about it so maybe we're changing that a little bit um, if anyone listening would be interested in a podcast where people talk about stuff they did that failed, maybe let Adam know. And who knows? Uh, oh, gosh. Also, what if you'd be interested in being on it, right? Because there's a difference between like wanting to listen to a show like that and getting to fly on the wall of other people's failures, but actually then offering your own up. Like there's a difference there. Um, and if you would be the latter, maybe let Adam know because this could be interesting. Um, Adam, if people want to keep in touch with you uh, and learn more about Django Unicorn, where should they go? Sure. So um, I'm on Twitter and I tweet occasionally uh, every couple of days, probably. So, um, but they can reach out to me there. I am Adam G Hill on Twitter and on GitHub. And what about Django Unicorn? Where can they find that? That's on Twitter as well, Django Unicorn, um, all one word. And uh, if you go there, you can find it on GitHub. Awesome. We'll also put those links in the description for today's show. Adam, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. And Colleen will be back next week. So we'll talk to you soon. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from The Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, Mega Maker, 
Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from Consent Kit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Works Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Conbini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.